Youth is wasted on the young, they say. And the same might be true of media attention. Why not become a sensation when you're old enough to take it in your stride? That's certainly true of Barbara Peters, the Royal Academy of Dance teacher in Yorkshire, who a couple of years ago passed the RAD's grade 7 and 8 exams in her 80s and has been attracting a lot of interest ever since. We're happy to hitch a ride on Barbara's life-enhancing bandwagon. I'm David Jays, and this is Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. We talk about how dance helps people make sense of their lives, and for Barbara, that's undeniably the case. She has been teaching for over 60 years, has travelled the world as an RAD examiner, and continued teaching throughout the pandemic over Zoom, attracting some devoted international students in the process. Dance is crucial to the way she approaches the world. As well as TV appearances and newspaper interviews, Barbara's work has been rewarded by a fellowship of the RAD and most recently the British Empire Medal in the Queen's New Year's Honours List. She's never done a podcast though, but I suspect, like everything else, she'll take it in her stride. Barbara, welcome to Why Dance Matters. Thank you. And you have achieved so much. You've done so many different kinds of things in your dance and dance teaching career. If you looked back, would little Barbara, at the beginning of all of this, would she have been surprised to learn that she'd spend her life involved in dance? Uh, yes, probably. When I first started, I was three and I just did general dancing. But from the age of about 10, I got quite into ballet and really loved it. Felt that I would like to spend my life doing that. But in the early days, no, I was just a little girl who tripped around the dance studio. How did it start? Was there dance in the family? How did the first lessons happen? There was no dance in my family anywhere that I know of. And I've tried to research it since, but no. But I had a little friend whose mum offered to take me to dance with her little girl. And so I went with a friend's mum until I was about nine or ten years old. Right. And then that's when I went to see a ballet and that's when I asked if I could go to ballet class. Oh I see so up to that point you hadn't actually seen ballet on stage? No I just was you know just little dance classes. It was just skipping around and holding hands with your friend and <laughs> elephant around the studio combined with a little bit of sort of they called it acrobatic which was sort of gymnastic stretching the body and contorting the body a little bit, lying on the floor and putting your head on your feet at the back and splits and general sort of tricks, I suppose they were really, you know, a little bit like gymnastics is now. A lot to be said for childish flexibility. <laughs> I wish I could do any of those things you're describing now. <laughs> I was quite flexible, I suppose I must have been, but I was much happier when I started doing ballet. Do you remember 
what the first production you saw was, the thing that, that sparked your imagination? I think it was female Gade, but that might have been a bit later. That is a good one, isn't it? Lots of dancing and a good story and all of those things that would catch your imagination. Yes, it's very pantomime And I can remember taking later, many years later, taking my goddaughter when she was little to see Malgade for her first ballet. It's a great first ballet for children, really, because it's colourful and it's musical and pantomime <laughs> Exactly that. <laughs> I think people don't always realise how many careers there are connected to dance. If you can take dance lessons, and it might not lead to a performing career, for most people it doesn't, but there are all sorts of other careers it does fit you up for. And of course, you've found a, the perfect niche in teaching, which was clearly something you had, a, I guess, an innate skill for. When, when did that idea come into your head? Well, when I was at the first ballet school, a dance school that did ballet, I started when I was nine in this school. I obviously had a natural ability for ballet and my teacher recognized this and she realized how serious I was about it. So she used to ask me to go to other children's classes to assist her in the classes with the little ones. I really enjoyed that. And that, I think, is what made me think, oh, this would be nice. I could spend my life doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That was how that started. So when you said that you were about 10, when the idea of, of spending your life around dance really took hold, it was also teaching. Not really teaching, but helping out with to make sure the other children enjoyed dancing as much as I did. I think that's what it was, you know, oh, I can come. I don't have to only go to my own class. I can go to the five-year-old class. It was just a... A natural sort of instinct that I had, I think. Nobody made me do it. Nobody really, as I say, forced me to do it. It was just something. And it meant that by doing that, I could go many times a week. You know, there might have only been a couple of classes a week for my age group. But if I went into the other classes to help, I could have classes every day. <laughs> <laughs> when I was 11 and went to a girls' grammar school, it was literally... 10 minutes walk up the road from the ballet school. So every day when I left school, I didn't go home. I went to ballet school. <laughs> Looking back, it was a bit unusual, I think. But there we are. That's what I did. Well, and you do in any form of dance. You just have to be very, very focused about it and very dedicated, yeah. don't you? What did your family think of this kind of single-minded dedication? <laughs> well, they supported me, really supported me. But my dad, as I got older, he wanted me to go to university because he thought ballet was a little bit frivolous, I think, like as many people did in those days. At a late stage, after, after I had decided what I wanted to do and persuaded my dad that I really was serious, I did the auditions for the Royal Academy Teachers Training Course, it was called then, and was accepted. But at that point, I realized I couldn't get any funding. I could go and they'd love to have me. But my education authority thought, oh, dancing, that's a bit of a waste of time. And so I learned at that point and I nearly had to give up on it. 
but I was almost 18 at the time in the sixth, what was called the sixth form at school then. I realized if I wanted to go, I have to leave school immediately and start working to get together my first year's fees. So that's what I had to do. I left school in the January. And then between January and October, when I started my training, I had to work all hours, God sense. <laughs> I got a job which was very well paid as a conductress on trolleybuses. Oh, fantastic. I was quite small and, and quite young looking. I looked about 12. It was really strange, you know, to have all these comments about what are you doing, this job, etc. Very fortunately, in about the May time, I started there in the January and then in the May time, I was with a friend's group of dancers who went for an audition for a television show and nothing came of it. But the next day I got a phone call asking if I was interested in dancing in a summer show on the east coast of Yorkshire. Oh, nice. And that was even more money and much more attractive. So I gave my notice with the buses and went for 14 weeks from, that would be about July time, beginning of June, and then stayed there all summer until I started college in the October. Okay. And, and what, what were you doing? What, what kind of dancing were you doing in, in the summer season? A summer show. You know, like, have you ever been to the seaside and been to see a show with singers and dancers and comedians and ventriloquists and it was a variety show two dancers and two singers were four of us young girls and then some adult performers as well but we were two girl dancers and two girl singers right and that was in 1956 i'm still in touch with all three of them really how oh, fantastic it it does sound a bit like you know the good companions or something had you been in the nicest possible way, a bit of a, a show-off? Was there a performer always bursting to get out? No, not really. I love dancing. I mean, it was a long time before I even danced on a stage, really. You know, I danced in the studio until I was probably about 13. And then I loved it when I went on stage. In the early days, I just loved dancing in the studio and just for myself, not really for anybody else that was the philosophy that i followed all and still do that you should dance for your own enjoyment not necessarily to impress anybody that you're better than anybody else that's the way i was I certainly no i wasn't to show off <laughs> <laughs> in a good way i meant but yes i get that i know what you mean but i mean i had to have personality and presentation dancing on stage but i don't think that was what attracted me to it. I think it was the physical control and strength of, of ballet, the actual bodily presentation of it, not necessarily the entertainment value. It was more for me initially. So you gave up a promising career in public transport. You had <laughs> your... Um, seasoned by the seaside, and then you get to college. And um, was it everything you'd expected when you started your proper teacher training? Everything. It's quite a small college. The building that we used was in Holland Park, 
beautiful, detached Victorian. It was almost like a boarding school, really. It was quite strict. We had very strict rules of when you could go out and when you, you know, you had to be in by. 18-year-olds now would be absolutely horrified. <laughs> we could have one late pass a week and then we had to be in by half 10. And we all were in the same frame of mind. We all loved dancing. It was just dancing and related subjects from morning till evening, really, and weekends. And it was very comprehensive, a very good, very good course. I think it's quite different now, but in those days it was... Yeah, very structured. We didn't just do ballet. We had to do principles of education and French and history of costume, design, music. It was quite comprehensive. And it clearly set you up for what was to follow. Yes, it's a three-year course. And we also did ballroom dancing to quite a high level, teaching level. I was going to ask whether you've ever found it difficult to keep your excitement and your passion for teaching going, because you've been teaching for over 60 years now. Listening to you, I, I get the sense that that isn't really a struggle, but the, <laughs> because I I'm, I'm kind of can feel the enjoyment, even, even in your voice. Yes, well, I think if it hadn't been such a passion, I wouldn't have carried on, would I? When I was getting to the point where I was, People were annoying me by saying, when are you going to stop? How much longer do you want to stay on teaching? And that? when I was in my, I think it was mid-60s, it's about 20 years ago, I was thinking maybe, you know, maybe I should give it some thought and decide. When my daughter and I were talking about ballet for preschool children, mm-hmm. and that fired me up right almost all over again, you know. And so in um, about... 2002-ish, we got together and formulated a syllabus for preschool children, and then we decided to franchise it. So that has kept me going because it's been all-consuming, really, and very, very enjoyable because adorable little children and (laughs) me trying to instill in them my enthusiasm for dance, and it, it all worked really well. We struggled a lot in lockdown because normal ballet classes could work on Zoom quite successfully. But with three and four year olds, you can imagine them in their own sitting room and there's their little doll's house in the corner. So they're all in, only interested in playing in the doll's house, <laughs> not listening to a teacher on screen. Yeah. So that was hard, but we're back again. It's growing now back to what it was before really, but it took a bit of a bang. And as you say, you carried on teaching ballet to older students through lockdown how hard was it to adapt your teaching to to zoom and or to online teaching well it wasn't difficult really the pupils were very appreciative and kept saying oh please don't stop i can't say hand on heart that it was a lot of job satisfaction for the teacher because you couldn't really see them properly but you know as long as they were saying oh yeah thank you that's fine or you know, as long as they were giving you the, the feedback that they were enjoying it and it was better than just sitting watching telly, that spurred me on. But at the end of every class, I always thought, oh. <laughs> but I guess the sense of connection must have been so important, especially in those first lockdowns where 
we were all so isolated. We were quite nervous about meeting anyone else. To have that moment of connection with you doing something they loved must have been a big thing. Yes, I think it was worth doing it and it was worth carrying on. But as soon as there was a little bit of freedom and we could go back into the studio, you know, you realise just how much you'd missed it. The only drawback to that was with my classes was I'd, I'd encouraged ex-pupils who now live abroad. So I had I had somebody from Los Angeles and somebody from Mauritius. And, oh, oh my God. So she went back to the, the live class. You know, they say, well, what are we going to do now? <laughs> we solved it by having a Zoom camera in the corner of the studio. So our classes now on a Monday evening consist of live class and Zoom class at the same time in the same room. So most of you were in Yorkshire, but some of you were in Mauritius or LA or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, I've got somebody in Loch Lomond, somebody in Hertfordshire, somebody in Los Angeles, somebody in Mauritius, and somebody in the south of France. <laughs> it's good, it's good, it gives me a good feeling, you know. This Monday evening, because of my award, the local calendar is called, it's the local Yorkshire television programme asked if they could come and chat with me and film me and film the, the ladies. So I watched it last night and they really are good. You know, this Silver Swans yeah. and, and the Discovering Repertoire are both very good programs. It's amazing what they've achieved, really is. Yes, we should say for people who don't know that the Silver Swans is an RAD program that is aimed at people who quite often are either returning to ballet after many years or maybe haven't ever tried it before in their 50s and older. And discovering repertoire is really about that excitement in the classical repertoire, getting to just to explore that. And what's lovely, I guess, about both of those is that it's about dancing for yourself and for your own enjoyment. You're not doing it to get a qualification or to start a career. You're doing it for love, aren't you? Yeah. When I started the adult classes a few years ago now, I started them on the RAD 6, 7 and 8. The ones who'd been pupils and left and then wanted to come back. We started on grade 6, 7 and 8 and they actually did the exams and they did really well. And I did the exams. They didn't exist when I was a student, so I'd never, I'd never done them. I was going to ask about the exams because it's one thing to be teaching all of this material, but it's quite brave as a teacher to put yourself on the line and take the exams too. Is it easier when you're an adult? Were you kind of less nervous facing them this time? I've never been nervous because most of them are my friends. A lot of the adults were mums of ex-pupils who'd now left me being gone to uni. So their daughters were young adults and had left home, leaving them with time. And so they decided to be brave. And it was strange that they wanted to do it and they picked it up so quickly. And I can only think it's because they sat watching their children learning. And although they weren't actually physically doing it, they must have absorbed a lot mentally. You could tell the difference between the ones who'd had pupils at ballet and the ones who just had come cold. People have been picking it up by osmosis, almost, by sitting in your classes for so long. Were you excited to be taking exams again? That's been quite a gap between your exam successes. The last exam I took as a student, I was 20. And the next exam I took 
I was 79. That is a little gap. <laughs> when I took that exam and it was on the TV, the presenter listened to that and he said, oh, it took an awful long time to do that next exam. <laughs> <laughs> Worried that you'd been held back for, <laughs> for year after year. Yes. And your successes in, in those exams became quite a news story. There's been a, a lot of attention ever since. Did that surprise you? Yes, because as I said, I did it for my own self-satisfaction, really, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't actually take that class for very long because I loved it so much. I wanted to do it full on. So I encouraged a friend of mine who'd also a graduate of the RAD College, who is a friend and who helps me with teaching. I said, could you take these classes? And then that means I could join in. And she said, yeah, that's fine. And so I became a pupil in the class in order to take all those exams I've done in the last three or four years. And that was a lot better because I could work full out because you can't really work full out when you're teaching because you have to concentrate on the, on the other people. That worked really well for me. And she's still teaching. I'm now doing, we've done the first level of, which is called level two, I think, isn't it? Of the discovering repertoire. Yeah. The exam was uh, about two years ago at the beginning of lockdown but we were just going to get this exam session in and we got the date and we got the examiner and everything. And I didn't know who it was. Over a couple of weeks, we heard that the examiner couldn't come. And they told me the replacement examiner, which was my generation, I think we're round about the same age, the oldest examiner examining the oldest student. <laughs> so that was a really, really lovely story. And it could have been quite difficult, but she was amazing. She was amazing. She put me at my ease and I did it. And now I'm working on the second one, which is all the variation and the dance and everything. Whether I'll be lucky enough to stay fit enough to do that, then who knows? I always have to be realistic about it now because when you get into your 80s, you know, you have a slightly different outlook on everything. You have to live for now. Physically, I'm still quite able to do it. So I'm hoping I can just do that. That will be my swan song, I think, if I can get that. And of course, you've spent a lot of your career as an examiner for the RAD as well as a teacher. That business of putting people at their ease, how easy is that? I think it's easy if you're that kind of person. You have to have that personality, I think, and it has to. I don't think you can learn it. And I think if you didn't have that as a person, you wouldn't do it. First of all, you probably wouldn't be asked to do it. Yeah. And secondly, you wouldn't be comfortable doing it. It's a bit of an unusual skill. You've got to be friendly and approachable and yet firm and, and it's got to be a certain amount of authority but not too much otherwise you put people off <laughs> yes yeah. and there must have been times where you've walked into an exam room and can almost feel the jangle of nerves in the air how do you calm people down so that they can give of their best to be honest I didn't have any difficulty with that because I've always loved children and I found it quite rewarding to be able to 
see them coming in with the knees knocking and then going out <laughs> looking happy is was all part of the job really it wasn't just about the children's examination syllabus was not just about dancing it was about education it was called ballet in education initially the first the first children's syllabus for the royal academy in the 50s and 60s was called ballet in education and then it was replaced by dame margot before i became an examiner i was asked to go to italy to help a very celebrated ballet teacher in turin She'd been to London to see the RED children's syllabus and wanted to take it to Italy, but didn't feel just confident enough. So asked for somebody to go to Turin to help her get it all established. And I had the good fortune of being asked to do that. And that I learned so much from that because she was such a lovely, wonderful teacher, a lovely person as well. So she she learned from me, but I also learned from her. <laughs> you know, I she learned facts from me that was the actual makeup mm. of the syllabus and the presentation of it. But I really learned a lot more from her. And I was only supposed to be there for six months. But towards the end of the six months, Nureyev had just defected and he was going to perform with the, the Cuevas Ballet Company in mm. Turin. And she invited me to stay on for two weeks longer so that she could take me to see Nureyev dancing. And that was in 61. That would be a memory in my mind forever. Yeah. And was he as fantastic as everybody said? He was. Before I went there, I worked at the Hammond School in Chester. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Betty Hassel, who was the principal, was still alive at that time. And she had seen him. I don't know how or where, but she wrote to me in Italy and said, you are such a lucky person. And you won't believe how he hangs in the air. And remember that phrase that she said, he just hangs in the air. Wow. As you say, that is quite a memory. That is a lovely one. And of course, part of being an examiner means that you do get to travel a lot, don't you? And I guess you've been to all sorts of places you might not have expected to, to be. Yes. I, I waited until my children were a little bit older before I went abroad a lot. Because before I had my children, when I was an examiner, I wasn't really experienced enough to go abroad. They liked to, to have a, a few years on your back before you were let loose abroad. <laughs> and when I became an examiner, I was the youngest. It, because I'd been to the college and been trained, I think, you know, all the time you were there, they were thinking, oh, there's another examiner here. And you didn't realize it, but they're actually coaching you all that time to be thinking about being an examiner. And so when I was 25, I became an examiner. So I did examine for, I think, about 45 years before I had to stop when my husband was ill. I didn't go everywhere. I was all, always a bit disappointed I never made South Africa. I would have liked to have gone to South Africa because apparently they had very good R.E.D. ballet. I was never fortunate enough to be sent there. But uh, Australia... New Zealand, Hong Kong, America, Europe. I did a lot in Europe. Right. Wow, that's, that, is, that is quite an impressive... The stamps in your passport must have looked fantastic.
And to come up to date, or at least in the, the last few years, as I mentioned, there has been a lot of media excitement about your recent ballet achievements. Has that been quite fun? You have the air of someone who enjoys a, a new challenge. <laughs> so suddenly appearing on TV and things, has that been enjoyable? It's not so much fun as the opportunity to be in your 80s and still needed, really. This morning I had to compile a list and send emails to my fellow examiners who are now not examining anymore. We used to have every year a lunch at the academy and obviously for two years, it's three years ago since we had a meeting and I've just been told by Luke that we can have the next meeting in May, hopefully. I'm the chairman of that little body of people. It's only a small, there's not many, there's about 20 of us, I think. It's just given me more than just going out for lunch, you know. <laughs> it suits me. And as long as I can do it, I think I should. Yeah. Because it's a reason to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and as you mentioned earlier, it's just been crowned by another award, which is the, the British Empire Medal in the New Year's Honours List, which is rather exciting. Did that come out of the blue? Yes, completely out of the blue. I'd been shopping one day and I came in and my mail was on the floor. I saw an official looking thing and I, I thought, oh, that looks like a speeding fine or something. I <laughs> think I'll put my shopping away and then I'll have a look at it later. And it was the letter from the cabinet office to tell me about the award. <laughs> that happened because in lockdown, I was looking on my computer and I don't tweet, but I've got a a thing for tweet and I must have gone into it and I saw a name of somebody and I thought it has got to be an ex-pupil of mine so I decided to contact this person and say are you the Justine that came to my ballet class in the 70s mm -hmm. and she replied straight back and said yes and then we went on the phone and she was still in touch with two more of her class from that time and they all they all did adult ballet but in different places so I told her about my Zoom class and she said, oh, great, we'll be able to join it. So they all three joined that Zoom class. So I've been in touch with them for the last two and a half years since lockdown. And it was that person who, it must be oh, quite a while ago now, decided to investigate the possibility of fellowships at the RAD. I didn't know anything about this. I only knew when I got the email from Luke. Uh, and it was her. So she did all the spades. It's quite a, an, a, an exhausting job. So <laughs> I think having done that, she thought, oh, I can, t I don't know, because I've not really discussed it with her, but I imagine she thought, oh, I can take this a step further. So she, <laughs> it was her responsible for the BEM as well as the fellowship. So that was very sweet of her, really. She obviously thinks a lot about me. <laughs> well, that is a sign of someone who's enjoyed their, their time being taught, isn't it? That is really lovely. Barbara, I'm going to stop. There's so much more I could ask you, but I am going to stop, I promise. But there is one final question. And it's one you've sort of answered in different ways as we've been talking. But just to ask it directly, why does dance matter to you? Well, it matters because it is my life really, you know, and your life matters. I, I don't think 
I'm very boring. But the fact that I've done the same thing for the whole of my life and still involved in it quite fully, it does matter to me. And as, as long as I can dance, I will. The only thing is, I, I just hope it isn't, you know, I hope it can continue for quite a while. That's why it matters, because it is what I do. <laughs> I do do other things. <laughs> I'm not sure how you have time. I wouldn't be able to do it without the support of my family. They've been absolutely wonderful. Sport and, and help from my family. And of course, my daughter works a lot alongside me. They are responsible for me being able to do what I've done, really. Barbara, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. We talk about how dance changes lives on this podcast. And it's clear that dance has not so much changed as suffused Barbara's life. And as an inspirational teacher and examiner, and now a role model for living life to the full, she's long been changing lives herself. You'll find more about the RAD's work, including the endlessly motivating Silver Swans and Discovering Repertoire programmes that Barbara mentioned, in our show notes. If you enjoyed our conversation, please do subscribe and like the podcast so that it makes its way to other people who might enjoy Why Dance Matters. Our guest today was Barbara Peters. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning and our life-enhancing producer is Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.